This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Beyond Zero is a not-for-profit research and education organization. We design blueprints for a zero-emissions economy. As climate change becomes more apparent, leaders will use these well-researched plans that show a transition is possible from a 19th-century fossil fuel-based economy with its climate-changing emissions to a zero-emissions 21st century. Check out our website for reports on zero-emissions energy, zero-emissions buildings and zero-emissions high-speed rail. Podcasts of our talks with a who's who of climate change action are all available at Beyond Zero Emissions. If you have some ideas for this show, contact us at radio team at beyondzeroemissions.org. Good afternoon, listeners. Uh, my name's Erin Jones, and I'm pleased to be your host today on the Beyond Zero Emissions radio show on 3CR 855 AM and streaming at 3cr.org.au. I hope you're all well. Um, today we're focusing on electric vehicles, but not the passenger type that we've spoken about before, but more on heavy transport, uh, commercial, light commercial, through to the more um, rigid truck bodies and the like. So I just want to preface this by um, painting a bit of a picture for you. Imagine you're in a city and you're driving by, uh, hopefully in an electric vehicle, block after block after block of empty buildings. And I've done this, and I've done this in a place called Rochester, New York, which is a no, I'm not sure of the exact population, but a, a city in upstate New York. And Rochester, New York, was the home of Kodak. And that city was basically Kodak City. You can drive, as I said, for virtually kilometres and kilometres, or as the Americans would say, miles and miles, and just have these Kodak buildings on both sides of the road. Now, when I was there in, uh, it would have been around 2005 for unrelated uh, to Kodak, um, this was what that city looked like. Um, and Kodak had not seen their downfall coming. They had actually developed the digital camera and then tried to squash it because they knew that it would, um, you know, basically be the end of their, their standard business practices. Um, but of course they didn't squash it and it was a game changer. And that company, which had been quite enormous, um, and it had at different times, you know, thousands and thousands of employees, um, became redundant um, and died. And so we're talking about EVs today, which is a little bit different, but I read an article um, earlier this week which just made me think of that example with Kodak and how sometimes these disruptive industries, the main players 
you know, they're so kind of focused on what they're doing that they don't see these disruptive technologies coming. And we're going to focus today on um, a couple of Australian-based companies that are really doing interesting things in the EV space. And in the EV space that um, we probably don't focus on very much, which is that, that you know, um, commercial courier-type vans, um, light and, and heavier trucks um, and light commercials. So it's something that I think, you know, there's a real opportunity and these companies are taking advantage of that and trying to get on the front foot. Um, but a lot of the uh, the more traditional manufacturers, a lot of them are talking about transitioning to EV. Um, Volvo has been one that has particularly said it's going to completely abandon the internal combustion engine in the not-too-distant future. We're only talking about a few years away. But some of the others, whilst they are bringing more models onto the market, and we're going to see, um, you know, a really big changeover in the next, certainly the next decade, but even in the next two or three years, uh, we're going to see a lot more models coming out and a lot more uh, lower priced models coming out that people can transition to. But for some of you know these bigger players, we need to you know I think they need to be really careful thinking about what their ongoing business model is because just like Kodak, they did not see and could not adapt quickly enough to the changing environment and and it was the end of their business. Um, that's, you know not to say as well with um, electric vehicles and autonomous driving, the whole mindset of ownership as a model, um, because you know most people if they are vehicle owners we really you know we have these vehicles which we invest quite a bit of money in and for the majority of people uh, they're used relatively infrequently when you think of a, uh, the time in a day I mean some people unfortunately have to sit for hours in traffic but for a lot of people you know their vehicle is actually not been used for a lot of the time which is going to kind of turn things on its head and, and um, around when people don't have ownership but maybe have a membership and some sort of share arrangement or, or something like that with lots of uh, uh, certainly in urban environments which is where the bulk of the population is the overwhelming bulk in, in a country like Australia um, of non-ownership of cars but maybe subscribing to a membership base of, um, of a share car kind of um, situation. What we're going to talk about today, though, is more vehicles that are on the road constantly, courier-type vehicles, trucks, um, light commercial, etc. Those are the vehicles that are on the road, clocking up not necessarily a great deal of kilometres per day, but, but quite a lot of hours, I suppose. Now, in lots of cities, we haven't seen it happen in Australia, but in lots of cities, particularly in, in Europe, um, in it, those inner city zones, there's starting to be pollution controls on those. So certainly we're going to see, um, you know, there's that legislative push to have non-emitting vehicles in the city centre, uh, and a lot of these commercial vans and, and taxis and the like um are transitioning to EV for some of those reasons as well. So I hope you enjoy today's um, today's show. Um, we'll be making a few announcements as we go on, but I'll just throw one out there to start with. Um, the Beyond Zero Emissions are hosting an electrifying industry workshop. It's a standalone event, and um, I'll give you some more details on that as we go through the show. Um, or you can jump on the Beyond Zero Emissions website and have a look at that now uh, and 
our first speaker today um, is actually going to be speaking at, at that event and I think he'll um, bring a lot of value to the day. So we'll get on with the show. So my first guest is Tony Fairweather and he is from Sea Electric. So let's hear from Tony. Listeners, I'm very happy to continue our theme today. We're looking at electric vehicles. But unlike in the past where we've focused uh, a bit more on passenger vehicles, today we're really looking at commercial vehicles and uh, more heavier vehicles and freight vehicles. And so just to frame this, um, you know, transport is a fairly con- fairly um, sizable contributor to emissions and light commercial and heavy com- duty and buses make up approximately 35% of the transport sector emissions. So it's a, it's a sector that really, um, you know, warrants some, um, some transition and it's been wonderful to see some of that coming to the fore recently. So we've got Tony Fairweather on the line, and Tony is the um, general manager of Sea Electric. Welcome, Tony. Thanks, Aaron. Good to be here. So, um, and we're really pleased. Tony's actually um, on the line from New Zealand today, and so hopefully we don't have some uh, technical issues. Hopefully we've ironed those all out. Uh, just tell us about Sea Electric and um, a bit of a history. Sea uh, Electric's essentially an automotive technology company, Aaron. We've uh, we've developed some uh, driveline technology, as you said, focusing specifically on the commercial vehicle space, in particular um, uh, what we call distribution vehicles. So those uh, those vehicles that are picking up and delivering freight, um, uh, be it you know, concrete or, or or waste or groceries or um, or dry goods uh, in metropolitan areas. So uh, you know, urban uh, urban style applications, which is extremely well suited to uh, uh, to EV applications, and as you said, has a, a fairly dramatic um, uh, positive impact on uh, on emissions uh, when uh, when comparing. Uh, uh, per, per vehicle basis in comparison to, to passenger cars. So it's an area we've been in the passenger, uh, oh, sorry, in the um, commercial vehicle space for, for quite a number of years in, um, uh, in diesel and then through, through hybrid and, uh, identified this, uh, this opportunity around, uh, five or six years ago, this pending opportunity for, uh, for the distribution vehicle space to, uh, uh, to, to really, um, um, uh, expand uh, significantly as the cost of EV com- components got to a certain point, and as the uh, uh, the density of batteries increased, and and so I spent uh, uh, quite a lot of time and quite a lot of money developing this particular technology that we refer to as C Drive, um, and uh, started to commercialise that at the beginning of uh, beginning of last year. And it's uh, uh, it's a very exciting space and one that's going very well. Yeah, great. So just um, for for the benefit of our listeners, let's go through the models that are currently available. I know that you've got uh, vans through to the um, light rigid. And for some of our listeners that don't know, can you kind of give us a breakdown of of the categorizations of of heavy transport that you're dealing in or that that exist really so that we can kind of place where your vehicles are targeting currently? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, to, um, I suppose to to start with the you know, the distribution type type vehicle space starts with with a van, with a delivery van type uh, type product. So, we're starting at that um, three and a half ton type type range, which is your your typical uh, metropolitan delivery van that uh, um, you see being used by. 
Australia posts of the world. Next segment up from that, you, you then typically move into what's called a cab chassis product. So that's the start of the truck range, which is a, a front engine, typically a front engine type product um, that has a, a cab on the front, a tilt cab, um, and is, uh, has been traditionally powered by, by a diesel engine. Um, and a uh, uh, automatic transmission in in most cases. So from the the van space, starting at the truck, we've then created four different driveline platforms that enable us to step up in what's called GVM, which is the gross vehicle mass uh, of that particular vehicle, which is the full full laden mass of a vehicle when it's got its payload on board. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we work in particular ranges. So um, what we refer to as our C Drive 70 model will power the vans. C-Drive 100 will then power the first of the, the smaller light-duty trucks, which is from a 4.5-tonne GVM up to a 6.5-tonne GVM-type range. We've then got a uh, what we refer to as a C-Drive 120, which powers um, from from the 6.5 right up to around the 12. Uh, a 140 that takes us up to about 18, and then the, the biggest um, biggest drive line we've got, which includes a big 3,500 newton-metre electric motor and to 212 kilowatt hours of batteries takes us right up to your 6x2 and your 6x4 platform, which is best explained or described as a um, your typical garbage truck type uh, type vehicle. So your waste vehicle that is picking up your bins outside your house, that's the biggest 22.5 or 23.5 ton GVM rigid vehicle. So our driveline technology, so to reiterate, we, we've developed the driveline technology in Yes, we do have two um, uh, CBU products that we work with, a particular van and one particular cab chassis, but we're also um, installing our driveline uh, into um, uh, other OEM-type uh, type products, so um, uh, some out of Japan and, uh, and some out of Europe. Okay. So, for example, I'm on your website now and looking at the... E4V, which is your your van, which people would have seen, or you know, a pretty common looking van that runs around town, you know, either as a minibus or as a um, you know courier vehicle or the like. Yep. Uh, so you're the, you're not necessarily developing the whole van. You're taking no, a, no, no, a, a yeah, shell that, and putting yeah, your drive in. Not. So what we what we do is uh, install our technology in what we call a glider chassis. So any of the products that we're electrifying are new vehicles. But they're ultimately being built by large large manufacturers around the world um, who are simply not installing the engine, the transmission, the exhaust system, the uh, air conditioning, the heating system, which also needs to be electrified, and supplying them to us as, again, what we call a glider glider platform for us to um, uh, to then electrify. Hmm. So, you know, Australia um, uh, you know, hasn't had a, a, great, uh, a great history of being able to... Uh, um, to survive with heavy um, manufacturing with um, significant um, uh, labour hours in, included. So we're leaving that to the large-scale manufacturers around the world that do that very well uh, and focusing on the bit that we're doing very well, which is the electric driveline technology and, uh, and the future of commercial vehicles. Yeah, great. Listeners, we're chatting with Tony Fairweather from Sea Electric all around, um, all about their commercial and uh, heavy vehicles and um, learning a bit about that. So you're on Beyond Zero Emissions Radio uh, and we're pleased to have Tony on the line. So you, so we're bringing these in, as you say, the glider vehicles and then you put in your proprietary technology with the, with the C drives. 
How then, so, I mean, one of the things I suppose that we need to get people looking at when we're talking about electric vehicles is total cost of ownership. Um, because we know that there's significant savings in maintenance and, and ongoing costs with EVs, but one of the barriers to adoption has been, you know, on particularly trans, uh, passenger vehicles, is the higher upfront cost. And we know that that's going to come down significantly as we have more more um, product come to market. But how are you stacking up now, and what are the kind of conversations that you're having with freight operators to make that transition? No, that's a really good point and a really important point as part of uh, EV transition. And it becomes a, you know, really about education, so trying to understand to um, uh, fleet purchase decision makers, the, you know, the procurement uh, teams and the, and the fleet teams that ultimately you need to be able to or be willing to purchase a vehicle at a higher cost to the equivalent diesel now. However, that payback because of the total cost of ownership uh, basis and the operating cost savings on the annual basis is returned in X number of years. And our particular model, and this is why we're really excited excited about the space, is with the cost of um, lithium-ion batteries now well below 300 US per kilowatt hour, the majority of our, um, uh, our, our programs and projects uh, have, a, uh, have a payback of under four years. So if, um, you know, if a, a fleet, fleet owner is going to be holding the asset, so the, uh, the, the truck or the van for longer than four years, right now it is cheaper for them to buy an electric vehicle. Mm-hmm. Yes, they need to consider the application. If they're needing to run them you know, from Melbourne to Sydney, you don't buy an electric vehicle. But if you're going to be operating them around metropolitan areas, be them regi- regional metropolitan areas or big city metropolitan areas and doing less than a couple of hundred kilometres a day uh, on a single charge, then they should absolutely be buying 100% electric. Yeah. It's really exciting to see now some of the momentum and activity. As I said, we waited until the beginning of last year to come to market and was waiting for that um, that battery threshold of 300 US per kilowatt hours to be broken through. Mm. Um, and, uh, and at that time, Australia in particular had very little activity in terms of um, even discussion around potential incentives for uh, for the EV space, not just commercial vehicle, but EV in general. Uh, but in recent uh, in recent months, there is a there is a lot happening both at a state state level, um, and now um, the Senator Tim Storer is mm-hmm. uh, is chairing a um, Senate Select Committee into into EVs, and uh, uh, I know there's a, a lot of a lot of very Substantial submissions that have been put in only last week, uh, with some, with some terrific uh, recommendations and suggestions. And I've, I'm sure a lot of that will get filtered through and, uh, and will get adopted over time. So the, which is what's exciting about that is the total cost of ownership model now being a four year payback. If some of these additional items, both quantitative and qualitative, come online, uh, then the upside is is massive. So uh, I think um, uh, next year is going to be a very exciting year for EV uptake in uh, in Australia. Feeling shortchanged by all the doom and gloom of climate change and want to help? Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. At BZE, we have a blueprint to help Australia become a thriving zero emissions economy, but we are dependent on public donations, so we need your help. Uh, four years, that, that's, that sounds really enticing. Um, if you're a big fleet operator, I mean, in that sort of you know, commercial and, and um, truck operating space, what's, what's the turnover time of fleet normally? 
Uh, they they, dare, they they vary depending on fleets. I think most fleets would like to be able to retain a seven or eight year average uh, average life. Um, in reality, a lot of them are substantially substantially older and longer than that. But very few, very few would be turning over um, um, substantial uh, commercial vehicle assets in in under four years. So again, the majority of uh, fleets should be considering EV uptake now, not potentially in the future as costs come down further, but the numbers stack up now. But yeah. again, it's just an education thing. We've got to be able to get out to the market and people want to, you know, touch and feel and, and understand the technology. It's a, you know, it is a very different, uh, uh animal to internal combustion engines. So I, I fully appreciate that, um, big fleets need to, need to touch and feel and, uh, get some, Get some uh, pilots into their fleets and let the drivers get an understanding, etc. But the challenge is that the um, you know, this this cost angle is is moving much more quickly than um, uh, than the education element. And I think those first movers to market, particularly on a volume basis, are going to be those that will benefit the greatest in terms of their. Uh, their overall operating costs for their fleets. Mm. Yeah, and speaking of, of big operators, I happened to see some photographs of uh, Woolworths looking like doing some testing in, um, in vehicles just only in the last week or so. So, you know, that's pretty exciting, isn't it? Yeah, I think that might be uh, one of uh, Victoria's worst-kept secrets <laughs> at, uh, at the moment. Um, and it's Twitter. Difficult Something gets on Twitter, it's, it's gone. It's <laughs> it up accordingly, but... Uh, yes, there's some um, some some big name um, uh, retailers uh, that are moving forward with those pilot programs, uh, and and very very smartly are doing this so that they get to understand what the pros and cons and the total cost of ownership models are for this and what it might look like in the future. And those same same companies are heavily involved in um, uh, you know in in, in lobbying and uh, and uh, working with. Um, uh, states and uh, and federal governments uh, to be able to position um, uh, EVs as part of their business and for others, you know, in the future as a uh, uh, as a you know a, a truly competitive option uh, for um, for businesses. And and you know we talk a lot when we're talking about EVs around range and and you know for tra- uh, passenger vehicles range anxiety, which which I think once people start using an EV kind of evaporates because. The vast majority of vehicle journeys are relatively short. You know, people buy a vehicle for the the one and two percent journeys, which is kind of a bit crazy in lots of ways. But when you're talking about these vehicles, you know, there is a huge marketplace for the uptake of of this type of vehicle, isn't there? I mean, it's it's pretty enormous. Yeah, and the the, uh, the elements around range again, particularly in this particular segment, uh, are not such an issue anymore. The density of batteries is um, have increased substantially. Our personal experience only over the last 18 months is our battery supplier has increased density in the same cell and the same size battery packs that we've been buying by 56% wow. over that 18-month period of time. And the majority of that is purely going into range. Um, so the you know, the majority of our trucks, the uh, the smaller the, the smaller trucks in particular, are pushing 350 kilometres now with um, uh, with average uh, average loads on. Uh, even the bigger trucks are breaking 200 kilometres. The majority of these these vehicles are, are only doing 150 kilometres a day, so which opens up another exciting opportunity in the very short period of time. Because as the density is increasing, as much as we're seeing uh, the ongoing reduction in lithium-ion batteries, which is just because of all these gigafactories around the world pumping out more and more and getting economies of scale, 
we're also seeing the density increase, which means in a segment like ours, that is distribution vehicles, very soon the size of the batteries are going to start reducing and we're still going to retain the ranges that are required mm. um, for um, uh, for metropolitan type work. So that's not only going, that's, that's effectively going to increase the reduction in cost, um, but it's also going to take uh, further weight out of the product, which um, uh, which is one of the limiting factors. We run about five or six percent heavier than a than a tear weight on on most of the uh, uh, most of the the vehicles in comparison to a diesel product. So yes, pulling weight down and pulling further cost out are all the ongoing improvements that are only just around the corner. Mm. And I was reading that um, I, I it was part of your, the submissions to the Senate, but around making some allowances on those weight issues. Is that a, a real um, sort of deal-breaker, or how, how does that sit? Is that a relatively minor issue, those those weight um, increases or excesses that, that batteries are adding as opposed to a diesel, or is it sort of marginal? I think, I think it's an important one um, to consider seriously now. Most developed countries around the world that are serious around EV uh, have already included um, um, uh, items like that. Most European most European companies allow the um, 6x2s and 6x4s, so the, the heavier rigid trucks, to, to operate at a higher GVM if they're 100% electric than that of diesel. That's a relatively easy one to, to implement. It costs nothing, uh, monitor and manage um, uh, road wear accordingly, and it's uh, you know, smaller volumes until uptake goes up, and as uptake goes up, the density of batteries mm. is increasing, and so the weight will be reduced, reducing. So that's an example of a very easy one for for state governments to implement, um, allowing 6x2 and 6x4 product to, to operate at its manufactured GVM as opposed to um, uh, the quite strict um, limitations at uh, 22.5 and 23.5 respectively that, that Australia has on roads. Similarly, at that smaller end, uh, yeah, some um, dispensation for passenger car licences to to allow um, those those courier type uh, vehicles and home delivery type vehicles to carry a bit more payload and compensate for some uh, uh, additional weight that they carry um, would be um, would be um, well very well received by um, by big operators in that space. So yeah. um, yes, weight is something that should be looked at seriously and. Uh, um, uh, state state governments and I think NHVR in terms of the passenger licensing thing could uh, uh, could um, influence that uh, quite positively to um, uh, to, to dr- dramatically increase EV uptake in commercial vehicles. The vans that I'm, I'm looking at a picture on your website. I've driven. My parents at one time had a business that had a van like this, and. Um, you know the things about these vehicles uh, getting a bit of high wind. You know they're they're a bit um, well, not the most stable things on the road. But I actually think the battery weight in the bottom would actually be quite a stabilising factor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, p- potentially. Although in the case of a commercial vehicle, yeah, you know, it's really about maintaining um, a similar sort of um, uh, balance and uh, uh, weight distribution to what was there originally. Uh, that's something we've done that's fairly unique to um, to some of the other pilots that we're seeing on trucks around the around the uh, the world. In that, um, uh, typically um, the trucks are um, uh, are using what what they call side saddled batteries, so they're being fitted and mounted to the side of the chassis, hanging off the side. Okay. Now that does impact on uh, on weight distribution and on the balance of the vehicle because you're removing an engine and transmission that's traditionally under the cab in the centre, and then putting these big slab of batteries on the side. 
So something we've built in very early on into our design on all of our models is that the batteries actually fit where the engine and transmission were taken taken uh, away from, um, and hence trying to emulate as much as possible the balance of the vehicle that was there beforehand. And yes, they are a bit heavier on the uh, on the front at the moment uh, to what was there beforehand, and that that actually might provide even further stability. You might be right with that, Aaron. However, in the case of um, commercial vehicles, it's all about payload. So ideally, you're not wanting to add extra weight. Um, you're wanting to retain as being as, as light as possible to maximise your payload uh, whilst uh, whilst having a you know a, um, a well controlled and uh, and balanced vehicle. Right. So. Obviously, what we've been talking about to, to date has been new vehicles. Is there a market for retrofitting? Yeah, really, really good question. It's something that we, we absolutely uh, see uh, in the future, um, probably another 18 months to two years with the, uh, the cost of lithium-ion, we think needing to get down around the 200 US per kilowatt hour mark or a little little below that again. Um, but there is a, a lot, of, lot of commercial vehicles do require to be turned over um, in those um, uh, single-digit type ranges, of the six, seven, eight years, primarily because of um, engine and, uh, and trans- transmission problems. Now, if the cab chassis has been well looked after during that time and if the cost of electrifying at that time uh, was more cost-effective than going out to market and buying a buying a new vehicle, be it a new electric vehicle or, or whatever is available at the time, uh, then we very much see that there will be a, a period of time where um, um, where retrofitting um, aftermarket uh, commercial vehicles um, uh, could be could be a very good a very good business. Mm, okay, well that'd be really interesting because I think there's some. Um, uh yeah, some interesting vehicles that have you know very specific um, setups on the back. That uh, nothing wrong with the. I'm thinking particularly of, of horse trucks, which is a world that I'm kind of from. Um, and there's a lot of those that are doing way less range than than your, you know, your systems are capable of, and just do kind of a round trip each day to tracks and things like that. And uh, could be a great market for them to go yeah, on that trip. Yeah, ideal, ideal. So, well, look, um, it's been great to talk with you. I know that um, Beyond Zero Emissions is having an electrifying industry summit on Thursday, the 13th of September, and I'm pleased to say that um, Tony will be speaking at that event, so we look forward to seeing you there, Tony. Uh, it's yeah, been, yeah, looking forward to it. It's been great to hear about um, what's going on in this space, and it's wonderful that um, you're primarily based in, um, in Dandenong, is that correct? That's right. That's yeah, where our, the our, uh, head office is, uh, Dandenong based. Yeah, great. So, so you know, there's jobs there on the ground for um, for, for people. This is one of the things that we've you know comes up numerous times when we're talking to people from all different sectors about uh, projects that are positive for climate. Is that they're jobs rich. Um, whether it be wind farms, solar farms, all sorts of other things, this is something that, um, you know, it would be wonderful to see some more government support because, you know, these are industries that can um, be staying uh, manufacturing onshore. Um, and I know I've just been doing some research for our discussion today and, and it looks like you guys have actually been noted as being leaders, not just um, in Australia, um, but worldwide and, and um, you know, up against some 
some big names in automobile manufacturing. So you're obviously making um, a bit of an impact in this technology that you're bringing to to the sector of, of transportation. So that's wonderful and it's really great and it'll be interesting to, um, we'd love to keep abreast of, of your developments and how things are going. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. I appreciate that, and uh, absolutely support your sentiments that this is a you know an exciting exciting um, uh, sector that Australia is very well positioned with the skills that we have from our automotive industry and coming out of the universities. We've got some fantastic, uh, uh, incredibly skilled um, uh, kids coming out of uh, university with um, with specific EV um, EV skills that. Um, we need to retain in Australia, and uh, we have a fantastic opportunity right now to build uh, uh, build the, um, the the supply chain and uh, uh, and the lights around this particular space. Yeah, fantastic. All right, well, lovely to talk with you, Tony, and um, we'll look forward to seeing you at that event. And people, um, if you go to the Beyond Zero Emissions website, bze.org.au, you can um, get all the details about that electrifying industry workshop, which is on the Thursday, the 13th of September. It's free to get along, but you do need to book a ticket, so we hope to see you there. Thanks, Tony, and I'm looking forward to hearing you speak there. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate your time. Bye-bye. So it was great to have a chat with Tony, and he made time for us today. He's actually in New Zealand um, looking at some um, developments for the company there, uh, and we really appreciate him taking time out for us today. So just in follow-up to that electrifying industry day, uh, there you can go to the Beyond Zero Emissions website, as I mentioned, bze.org.au, and you'll find the details there. Or there is actually a dedicated website as well, which is electrifyingindustry.org.au, and you can see all the various speakers that are going to be there and um, book yourself a ticket. And as I mentioned, it is free, but we do need you to register. So remember, that's the Thursday, the 13th, of September and um, go to electrifyingindustry.org.au So we'll um, just uh, take a bit of music and in that vein of um, speaking to Tony from New Zealand, let's have a listen to some split ends and six months in a leaky boat. So we're going to continue on with the show. Um, and again, in our theme of EVs and commercial EVs, um, we're going to now hear from um, an organisation that's based out of Queensland and their attempts to actually get um, some manufacturing of EVs based in Australia. So, listeners, we'd like to welcome to the Beyond Zero Emissions show today Greg McGarvey, and Greg is the Managing Director of ACE EV, which is the Australian Clean Energy um, EV Group. So, welcome, Greg. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, thank you. Pleasure to be here. So, um, we've done a few shows in the past around EVs and the um, associated infrastructure with EVs, but probably more focusing on uh passenger transport, whereas this show we're really kind of delving into more along the commercial and freight um, and off-road EVs, which is something that uh, is certainly another sector that needs to be taken into regard and and certainly is a a big contributor of emissions, so it's really important that this sector of, of transport is really looked at. 
So can you tell us what your groups, um, where you're up to? I know that you've got a couple of, of models that you're wanting to bring to market in the fairly near future. So just give us a little bit of background now, listeners, of what ACV is all about and where you're up to. Yeah, ACV's um, uh, been up working the past three years, or over three years now, uh, to demonstrate that Australia is well positioned to build uh, an EV, EV manufacturing industry. Mm-hmm. And we've only got confidence in that because of our alliance partners overseas and the technology that they're bringing to the automotive industry. It's quite disruptive, and it means that uh, in Australia we can set up a manufacturing facility with a pretty low capex or low cost. Right. So that's that's quite different. So you're actually looking at doing onshore manufacturing, which would be you know fantastic for for jobs and everything else. And you're based in in regional Queensland. True. True. And. Um, you know, it's uh, it's also sort of a lifestyle type business. Um, we're trying to make it that way anyway, and, and part of our team in Victoria uh, are keen to look at a research facility up where there is lifestyle uh, and good weather, which probably pushing Queensland a bit, but Harvey Bay and Fraser Island's not a bad place to be. Yeah, that's for sure. So. So at the moment, you've mentioned partnering with some overseas partners. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about, a bit more about who they are and what they kind of bring to the table? Yeah, no, we're very happy with them. They're um, a conglomerate of German, Swiss and Taiwanese interests. Uh-huh. And uh, they've uh, been developing, or most of the design everything for this vehicle has been developed in Germany right. and in and Switzerland. And it's been... Uh, they've worked on it for quite a number of years and in 2015 they did the first crash test with the vehicle and um, we were just lucky enough to be introduced to a key proponent, uh, Dr Charles Kung. He got a lot of integrity, he pulled together a team that's uh, got in, out of uh, Mercedes, um, have got design, corporate design history out of um, uh, the switch uh, car that was designed for Mercedes and the Swatch, which was a watch that was designed. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other great uh, thing uh, the, about the it... Smart the, the, the little... smart car, the little... The smart car, I mean, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, the smart car. And um, so we've got that integrity there, mm-hmm. and they're busy now building a production line in uh, in China. Now China will come to the place and say, look, fellas, you come here and build this, we'll help. And so they're working toward a production line. They'll be reducing around 22,000 vehicles toward the end of the year. Right. Uh, and we were just lucky enough to meet with Charles, introduced to him by a venture partner, and um, we've been developing this over the past three years. And part of proving that Australia was ready for EV was for him to come out here. Uh, they were going to invest $5 million in the start-up, our start-up here, and he came out to do diligence and he said, Greg, great country. You have high vehicle turnover rate here per head of population, 1.2 million new vehicles a year. He said, but things are a little bit sad. We're not going to um, put any money down. We see it's too risky after doing due diligence. Uh, your government here has let the auto industry die. Mm. And on top of that, we can't see any real policy that would encourage EV manufacturing in the country. And so we... <laughs> We lost the funding opportunity, but my business partner um, had been, has been negotiating with Charles and 
and convinced him that to take a 15% equity share in our um, manufacturing plant here in Australia and a percentage of each of the vehicle sales. Mm-hmm. And in exchange for that, he's giving us IP for right-hand drive vehicles for the world. So that means that Australia is really ideally positioned if the appetite is here with government support and uh, a few others to um, not only start off a new automotive industry using disruptive technology, but to start exporting it as well. And that's not impossible. Anyone that's seen the Tritium story with the superchargers, Mm. uh, you know, they had... All over the world nowadays and um, going in by the thousands. Yeah, and they had major, major problems getting started and now they've demonstrated that Australia can kick goals. It's nothing to do with labour costs. It's to do with skills and um, ideas and pursuing those ideas. Yeah, look, and it's, um, I mean, it would be absolutely fantastic to get manufacturing happening. So so you're based on the Fraser Coast there in Queensland. So is that where you'd be looking to manufacture? Well, that's where we've been working on uh, starting up because uh-huh. there's a stranded government asset here that um, is basically ideal for what we need, uh, but we are having trouble getting it, getting access to it, even though we want to lease it. And... Um, so we're now talking with South Australia, Victoria and New Zealand and it would be the craziest thing ever if what we had dreamt of uh, Queensland and Australia ended up going overseas and then exporting back into Australia. Yeah, and I mean, we've we've done a couple of shows on what's happening in New Zealand and mm-hmm. I know that there's a lot more activity in the EV space there, a lot more government quotas for fleet sales of EVs and, and different things. So, yeah. um, I mean, it's great for New Zealand, but, you know, there's no reason um, that that shouldn't be happening here either. And, and as you say, there's, there's probably a lot of manuf- automobile manufacturing facilities sitting idle nowadays with... Um, What's true, happened true. Um, both in Victoria, particularly in South Australia? So uh, I'm sure those communities would be jumping up and down to um, get back into manufacturing. Yeah, and look, there's so much skill still here. It hasn't gone yet, but it won't be many years before that skill does does go. We, since we did our launch in Sydney in April, we've, had, we've been contacted by some really clever people that are passionate about EV and would like to get on board and make it work. You know, they've got experience out of France, out of the US, out of Detroit, um, and uh, we're, we're sitting on a real opportunity. We've only got about 18 months, and our overseas partners will just say, look, Greg, we told you, Australia's a basket case. We, we, we can make money somewhere else. Mm. So let's th- then get on to talking about what sort of models you're looking to bring into market. Um, so can you just talk our listeners through the, the models that you're um, working on yes, at the moment? Yeah, yeah. Our focus is um, Australians like the youth. And I can remember when I was a young bloke, panel vans were pretty popular. And so we're looking at light commercial, introducing light commercial vehicles because there's not a lot of that happening in the EV space compared to other types. Mm. Um, and we're looking at a vehicle that's just sort of a, a knockabout vehicle that can be used by um, tradies, by anyone else. Uh, around the city. They're just an, a city vehicle at the moment and um, uh, they've got a range of 350 kilometres. They only weigh 900 kilo. Uh, the manufacturing process, as I said, is a disruptive process. These vehicles are very light, very strong because they're uh, carbon fibre with a uh, ABS plastic panelling mm-hmm. and um, they've got regenerative braking system uh, 
uh, capacity of 500 kilo. And the ute is a little bit like the Brumby ute that was very popular around Australia. So we're looking forward to introducing both those to the Australian market. Once they're in the market, we then behind that have a, an urban car, which will be a bit smarter, and then after that a, a sports car, which I think will be really popular. I've seen the designs, but they're not ready for release yet. And so looking at some of your literature, you're looking that um, you can bring out these models in the sort of below $40,000 range. True, yeah. The, the, the light commercials below, will be below forty, and they'll be sold that's, um, without all the government charges and other things. And they'll be sold with uh, a charging station plus uh, a very good international um, phone app for identifying where charging stations are for paying for the, the energy, mm-hmm. uh, along with that uh, AVNB type app, which allows people, when they've got a charging station in their house, if they want to, it'll let it out to other people to utilise. Okay. We had a, um, uh, a chat a couple of shows ago with... Um um, Richard McNeil from the Tesla Owners Club of Australia who's sort of been the lead volunteer for the Around Australia project looking at um, the amount of infrastructure that's actually there that um, they've kind of you know mapped and, and got in place and put in some charges but um, they're not the high speed ones but more, more the uh, you know it, places like showgrounds and the like, but, yeah. but what they've done is mapped out a plan um, yeah. of the whole country and basically on average there's 200 kilometres between charges, some, some a lot closer. I think yeah. they're outliers, they've got a couple that are around the 400, I think it might only be one, and then a, a handful sort of at 300, but the vast majority yeah. at 200. So, you know, the barriers um, or, or these perceived barriers to adoption a la range um, are really just that a perception you know we're, we're kind of getting beyond that um, yeah. and and the research that Beyond Zero Emissions did many many years ago looking um, when we brought out our EV research you know the, the vast bulk of Australia is, is urbanised um, the, yes. the population base and you know the amount that people drive is far far less than and they, you know, they think they need this hundreds and hundreds of kilometres, but it's very rare that people actually do that in their day-to-day life. We kind of buy things to suit those occasions that we use very infrequently, whereas, you know, a, a vehicle that's got a, um, you know, kilometre range of two or three hundred kilometres would probably suit most people, probably ninety-eight percent of their their journeys. Yeah, well, you know that uh, just the research has shown that. The average drive is only 33 kilometres a day. Mm. And the great beauty with our vehicle is you take it home, plug it in, and in the morning it's full. Yeah. And, you know, if you're going to do 170, 200 kilometres that day, well, it's probably a big trip you're going to be doing. But um, range anxiety is just a perception. And most mm. people think of range, they think of going to the petrol station once a week, filling the car up, and then, of course, they get got to hunt for the petrol station, find the best price, whereas... If you've got your charging station at home, you know exactly how much it's going to cost. And it's about a fifth of what it would cost you to run a petrol car anyway. Mm. And um, it's full every morning. Yeah, and I think that we've got to start focusing more on that total cost of ownership. Um, because we know when we look at electric vehicles that um, the total life cycle costs are, are significantly less and as the um, entry level cost gets lower and lower, that's going to become more and more favourable but it's just that initial upfront, and, and as you say, in Australia, there's been very well 
almost non-existent support for the adoption of electric vehicles, uh, which is which is a great worry, especially given um, Australia, you know, imports the vast majority of fuels. Um, so, and and we have an abundance of of sunshine and wind power and everything else. So, um, it, it really makes sense that we are using a, a technology that can be fueled without reliance on imports. That's right. And I mean, electric vehicles, if they're adopted, is the best opportunity for energy security in this country, you know, with transport and everything, because we don't have to worry about oil coming Mm. in or oil shortages. We've we've got the sun there providing everything we need. Yeah, that's it. So tell me, what are the next steps then? And, and, you know, if we've got listeners out there that, um, you know, a lot of our listeners are really, um, some of them have already gone into the EV market. You know, we know that the research says that a lot of people are considering an EV for their next purchase and are just waiting for more um, affordable models to come on the market. And at this price level, you know, that's a very competitive uh, um, price range. So where can people find out more or... Well, look, two, two things that we need to happen. Um, the first thing is government needs to, and we, as you know, we've put into the Senate inquiry on electric vehicles, mm-hmm. but the government needs to actually do something to support the uptake of vehicles, not oppose it. And on top of that, uh, the other thing that uh, needs to happen is we need people who are uh, 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 passionate about EVs to consider very seriously um, our vehicle for a start is an Australian built vehicle um, and go to our website and register or subscribe to um, keep up to date with what's happening because what we're happening, what we're doing to build our business model is the first 100 vehicles we're uh, offering uh, with a 1,000 free shares in the manufacturing company. And, um, so what sort of structure is, is your business now? Are you listed? Is it a private company? What's the uh, structure? Private, private company. Okay. Private company. But we're at the stage where we uh, will be looking for investors. We need investors because we're not getting any traction with the government. And um, uh, we just need to get in there and get some real Australian support behind this vehicle. And, and to give, give people a bit of a flavour, you know, this is not something... You've been involved in um, solar farms and, and kind of um, renewable energy type uh, enterprises so, for quite a while now, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, well, our main company is Get Green and we're an energy management planning company. Uh, we started out eight years ago and when we first were talking to businesses, they thought, they thought we were selling snake oil, but we demonstrated that we could introduce really good savings by them going green and now it's becoming more and more obvious. Um, now, if you, you've got uh, sunlight and you've got an energy converter that turns it directly into electricity, you can't beat that. And the, the, the economics of it, uh, once you get the cost of the converters down, which is the panels, uh, makes it the, the answer to our energy concerns for a long time. And we've got a particular passion to make this work. You know, we didn't call Get Green, get green for a, uh, no real reason. We called it that way. That, name to challenge business because in the past business have thought anything that's green is expensive and now they're just and they think of it as an add-on it needs to be core business that it actually makes sense yeah and now it's really going green is core to saving money and um, having less impact on the environment and my background I'm a marine biologist which might sound a bit strange being involved in this industry but uh, the sea is very closely connected with how our um, 
our world environment fares. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so that's where uh, ACV Group evolved from. We've been working on it, as I said, for three years, and we'd really like to get it up and going. We've got people that have come out of the car industry that want to be part of the supply chain with componentry, uh, plus um, some very clever people in the battery side of things. And uh, what surprises me is that the Minerals Council of Australia isn't jumping up and down and beating the drum and saying, let's start getting all these materials to market because every material that's required for solar, every material that's required for our EVs, uh, is happening, it's in the, it's demanded here and majorly overseas. There's a huge amount of money to be made by Australia utilising its resources. And if they're smart, building a few um, factories to actually create those, make batteries and other things as well. Yeah, I mean, and this is the frustrating thing that we've found in all the research we've done and, and um, certainly on the radio show, the type of things that we try to focus on and, and which is kind of obvious but maybe not to everyone is so many of these opportunities are jobs rich and they're local jobs totally. rich. Totally. Mm. We only got to look at California. You know, they've, they've got the highest employment rate, they've got the highest growth rate and they were prepared to go green oh, eight years ago. And mm. Australia's just... Australia is uh, the country of honey and nectar. When I'm in Greece and I'm talking with people, I think, McGarvey, you go to Australia, you can just dig up everything you need and then you can turn whatever turn into whatever you like. And for some reason, our uh, policy managers and the political class aren't promoting that very well. Oh, exactly. Well, Greg, we better um, wrap it up because we've got some other things to cover in today's show as well. But we, we really appreciate talking to you. So just give our listeners what that website is again and yep. um, they can check out the information on there. Terrific. And thanks for your time. It's, it's uh, just www.ace-ev.com.au. So that's Australian Clean Energy Group. And it's ace-ev. Fantastic. Thank you. All right. Well, um, look, we'll look forward to staying in touch. Let us know how you, how you go. I think um, you've got a, uh, you're highlighting some of the vehicles in Sydney later in the year. So keep in touch with us and um, let oh, us know. Look, where I, you're I should to. mention there's the Australian Electric Vehicle Association uh, convention in Brisbane in November. Yes, yes sorry, it'll be a big Brisbane, event. not Sydney. Yep. Yeah. And uh, there'll be quite a few vehicles there, including ours. Fantastic. And, uh, yeah, I've got meetings later on this year in Melbourne with different groups as well. So just give Thanks us, what's the, that's okay, what's the date for that Brisbane show? I think it's oh. around November the 6th. Yeah, I'll, I'll have a look yeah. and put it up on the notes yeah. with the yeah. show, but, but that'll be great, and um, I'll try to make sure that I get up there for that as well, because I think that'd be Terrific. really interesting. Look forward to seeing you. Yeah. Thanks, Greg. Yeah. Nice Thanks to talk to you. Time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So there's a couple of um, Australian organisations that are really uh, doing good work in EV. Um, one of them uh, a little bit further along the line with Sea Electrics out on the road. You'll see them around. Keep an eye out. And Ace EV just trying to get some um, more affor- affordable models off and running. Beyond Zero Emissions is a not-for-profit research and education organisation. We design blueprints for a zero emissions economy. As climate change action becomes an emergency, leaders will use these well-researched plans that show a transition is possible from a 19th century fossil fuel-based economy with its climate-changing emissions to a zero emissions 21st century. 
Check out our website for reports on zero emissions energy, zero emissions exports and industry, zero emissions transport, zero emissions buildings, and zero emissions land use. Podcasts of our shows contain a who's who of community action and climate solutions. They're all available on the web at bze.org.au. We'd love your ideas for this show, so contact us at radioteam at bze.org.au or even write to us, care of Radio 3CR, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, Victoria. You can make that attention, BZE Radio.